Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. I just followed what felt like the next best step. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with Samantha Firm. Samantha helps businesses in Southeast Iowa navigate the world of local, state, and federal government contracting. She also owns and operates her own massage therapy and sound healing business in Iowa City, Full Circle Wellness and is one of the leaders of Her Experience, a day-long urban retreat for women. Samantha and I discuss her journey, starting her own business, helping small businesses navigate government contracts, and working on a family farm in California, as well as her early job as a Starbucks barista. I apologize to you, dear listeners, for my excitement digging into the barista naming process, Starbucks sock policy, and the glory of French press coffee. It was an honor having Samantha join me on the show. I really appreciated her stories and perspectives, and I thank her for sharing her time and insights. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Samantha, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the Iowa Idea podcast. If you don't mind for our guests, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I am not an Iowa native. I am actually from Mesa, Arizona, and uh, have actually lived all over the country, um, five years almost in Washington, D.C., Northern California, went to college in Northeast Ohio, and have really actually very surprisingly found a wonderful fit here in Iowa City. And I love it. I've been here over six years now. And what brought you to Iowa City? Oh, <laughs> a story that actually a lot of people I've met here, <laughs> they came here for a relationship or, you know, and um, I had actually also always admired the Iowa Writers House. I was in England. Well, the Iowa Writers Pro Workshop, actually, and the Writers House and Friends with Andrea. But um, yep. I was an English major and into writing. So I'd always been like curious about Iowa City um, and then briefly dated someone and also very quickly broke up with them after I moved here. <laughs> but then I was kind of already on a different path. I was in, um, I went to school here for uh, massage therapy and then I needed to finish that. And I got involved with um, Entrefest, the state's largest startup entrepreneurial small business conference as their marketing director in 20, for the 2015 conference. And so I, I very quickly put down more permanent roots without quite realizing what I was doing. Um, and had, I think kind of given myself five years, like a five-year plan, then I'll move back home to Arizona where all of my family is. And, um, and instead, you know, got very involved in the community, settled down with a partner. We bought a house and okay. now, so it's actually, <laughs> no, that's that's great. Uh, kind of in a in a similar vein, I know the I um, uh, lived in Minneapolis for for a long time, but uh, I went there f for a relationship, and uh, relationship didn't <laughs> stick. But Minneapolis did for about fifteen there you years. Go. See, yeah. I mean, I kind of sometimes wonder, like, is there any greater um, you know influence to 
experience the country and get out of your comfort zone and having a really big uh, factor like love to like, you know, influence <laughs> you and to get you and to motivate you to explore. And um, that's, it's, I kind of just joked that that relationship was just like the train car I needed to get to Iowa. And now I'm here and it's great. I love it. I feel very deeply connected to Iowa City. That's great. And we're so happy that you're here. I, uh, <laughs> the first, I think the, the first time I became aware of you was through on, uh, Fest. We didn't know each oh, other, but, uh, yeah. I know I, uh, admired your positivity and energy from afar. And then I know in the was past it year, the, when I hosted it that year, yes, it yes. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I've done all the iterations of it now. It's like, I helped produce it the first year and then took a brief break. And then, um, I think I hosted it and then I was on like the committee to help go through the speakers last year. So it's been kind of a fun uh, whole 360 circle with Entrefest and kind of seeing how it's evolved and grown and changed. And it's been really fun. Yeah. And it's such a great, great program. So um, want to uh, then ask you uh, a little bit, if you don't mind, because you had, you had mentioned uh, massage therapy. Mm -hmm. And I also know you're connected with uh, her experience. Do you mind talking yes. about wellness yeah. or massage, your massage yeah, therapy absolutely. journey? Absolutely. Um, so I have my own kind of, uh, right when I moved to Iowa, I had my own kind of health crisis, which I think is funny. I think a lot of people start thinking of their own health and wellness, you know, due to something that happens, whether it's an accident or a diagnosis or something. And that happened. Um, and I, so I have an autoimmune condition. And so at the same time, I was wanting to have gone to massage school since like high school, you know, like I would save up my allowance money and I bought a book on massage when I was 13. Um, but then I went to regular college and, you know, just other things that I think I was also drawn to, but uh, massage was always kind of in the back of my head of somehow being able to use my body and my hands to help other people find comfort or release or something. And so uh, in the move to Iowa, I felt like it was a really good chance to just kind of drop everything I'd been doing before, which had been large event marketing, which is what I did in DC. And it had really stressed me out. And I was like, the change, I'm going to go to massage school and just totally change my life and, you know, whatever, add another tool to my professional toolbox here and start my own small business and all these other ideas. Um, which is funny. Cause then I got involved with Entrefest as the marketing <laughs> again, did large event marketing, but they went hand in hand very well together. And through the Entrefest experience and I was then offered um, to be a small business development center counselor and really got to understand what took to start a small business while I finished massage school. So I kind of felt like um, I ended up having the community and the tools needed to not just kind of launch this very heart-centered business, but also have the community to support me in the business world and to approach it very seriously and in terms of you know income and revenue streams and client bases and all kinds of stuff. So from there, though, you know, when you start, um, the wellness world is very interesting and varied. And a lot of people don't know how to be good business owners in that world, I've, I've found. Yeah. <laughs> There's just, you know, oh, if it's meant to be, it'll be and, and that kind of thing. And I have a very logical brain also. And so I was, it was kind of hard to sometimes find 
people who were logically minded, but also wanting to help people from a place of you know, genuine spirit of caring. And eventually I kind of did settle into my own pattern. I started my own business. And from there, I made really good connections. I, uh, and my business was always part-time too. I always knew I wanted it to be like a, smart, a part-time small business because just I physically wouldn't be able to keep up with it if it was full-time. I connected to Dr. Terry Walls, who's doing a lot of work with the um, autoimmune research and diet and lifestyle, who, you know, she's very inspirational. And because of my event experience, I helped her start to put on some of her large events. She has a train, a, kind of like a conference every summer and got involved with her for several years and um, had my small business. And then from there, I and also actually through the small business community, I met the women of her experience. And so her experience is just a, it's a day long uh, urban retreat, I guess, you know, it starts at like, and it goes to 5 PM and ends in happy hour, but in between it's led by Betsy Rippentrop, who is a doctor of psychology and she owns a yoga studio here in town. And she is a psychologist and a scientist and has a lot of, um, research behind her and, and just to be very in tune with yourself. So it's very heart-centered, but also again, logical and science-based. And then we had the Iowa Writers House involved with Andrea Wilson, and she did some really cool writing exercises and Katie Brown and Kate Moreland and um, their business experience, but all coming from a place of the heart too. And so really helping to empower women to kind of rewrite their own stories and be very genuine and authentic. And so to be a part of that group um, has been really exciting. Also, we basically before COVID hit, got about a year of retreats in, um, in Iowa City, and people actually started flying in from DC and New York City and Chicago to start coming to her experience. And, um, and we haven't been able to really do much since then. Right, right. <laughs> on hold right now. Um, as was my massage practice for like most of this year. Um, but still finding ways to connect to people and to offer what services I can do. You know, I also do some sound healing and some other things like that. So uh, it's amazing what you can do more virtually than you had ever thought you could do before in the healing space. Right. Thank you so much. There's so many different threads there that I want to pull on a little bit, but I do. uh, Can you, can you um, sound healing? Can you tell me a little bit about that? What that is? Yeah. So sound healing, um, our teacher, a few people here in town have um, in town and here and in Cedar Rapids. um, There's a school in Boulder, Colorado called the Atma Bhuti sound healing school. And he is, I believe from Nepal. And um, so sound healing is this technique where uh, there are singing bowls. And I think people might have seen a lot of the crystal bowls. Um, but what I use are the metal bowls. And it's a, it's a different bunch of metals. And they're different sizes and different um, notes. And the idea is that the vibration, you can kind of rotate the outside of it. And it creates a really beautiful deep vibration, or you can kind of like strike the outside of it and it kind of creates a single note, like a bell. But the deep vibration really helps to, like oftentimes when I do a massage, I'll put one of the bowls on the back of one of my clients and kind of take it down their spine and really do some really deep vibrational work, Um, which is really cool because it kind of actually helps 
uh, massage the cells. I don't know how else to describe it, but if you actually put water in the bowl itself and rotate the outside, it creates a honeycomb pattern in the water. So imagine that happening to all of the stuff inside of you, you know, and it's kind yeah. of like seeing stuck patterns, being rejuvenated, bringing more blood into different areas. And it's also very meditative. A lot of my clients, when I start with a singing bowl like that, they kind of do that great zone out, you know, it's like the in-between right when you're about to fall asleep, um, you know, that kind of brainwave, theta brainwave state um, helps induce that a little bit more, which is very healing for people in general. So that's kind of, I just kind of incorporate that. And so by being able to also use the bowls, you know, just like sound wise, um, I've been able to like help people um, virtually over the phone a little bit over COVID too. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And with her experience too, th- thanks for providing that context. Cause I, sure. I, um, it was through, um, I think it was a million cups. I saw uh, Andrea and Kate, uh, talk about it. And, yeah, and, uh, I just, I just love the idea so much. It's, and, um, I hesitate to say that, right. As a, as a white guy, you know, carrying as much <laughs> privilege, but I'm like, wow, everybody could use that. Right. But yeah. I, I love, I, I loved what was being presented and the need for it. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's, such important work. So I'm hoping that it really can continue. And I really hope so too. And, and we tried to make it as um, available to people as possible. Like we had uh, scholarships, you know, for people who needed it. And, um, and I, the feedback from people was that it was very nice. And there are people that came again, you know, they came at the beginning and then they came like the fourth one that we did. Yeah we already feel a difference. We want to come again for like a booster, you know, and um, it just was each single um, one of those experiences that we put on was so deeply intriguing and healing. And you felt so close to people after just a few hours. And um, I think the women that came also were surprised at how much work could get done in like a day. Everyone got very quickly. So it was awesome. Yeah, no, that that's great. Uh, I, I and I don't know all of all of the women involved, but some of the names that you met, like uh, Katie, Kate, uh, mm-hmm. Andrea, you, I, and you kind of talked about this, but I do see that theme and and love is kind of like these these big minds and big hearts, uh, mm-hmm. just bringing both kind of that kind of balance. And it, I, I initially thought kind of right brain, left brain, but I think it is more kind of heart and and brain as well. But I love that kind of balanced approach. It's not it's not devoid of science. Right. And yet it's also just really deeply caring about people that I think there's, it's such a special package. It is. And I think, I think that's one reason I love Iowa city is like, actually Katie Brown was one of the first people I met when I moved to Iowa city. Same with, I think I met Andrea six months after I moved here, Kate Moreland too. (laughs) And, you know, it, it's like, all of these women are leading their work and being leaders in the community, but leading with their heart, but doing really good work. And so um, it's inspirational. And it's just a really good reminder that there, you know, business doesn't have to be cold or or like painful and stressful. It can be very natural and heart centered. And that's kind of how I think I've always personally worked and, why I had such a hard time keeping up with everyone else in DC because it was just a lot of type A 
work for 60 to 70 hours a week, you know, whatever. And I was like, but let's talk about stuff. No, it just, <laughs> I had great friends there, but it didn't quite jive with like, you know, the rat race. And so it was nice to remove myself and actually find that um, what I had to offer was very welcomed here in Iowa and needed. And it fit really well with Iowa city too. So yeah, so I think from, my people. <laughs> from a business development or recruiting perspective, we could just put look the uh, the her experience team as like the, the welcome wagon, and we. <laughs> I love you. We'll help you get your dreams realized. Yeah, it, it, it's um, it, it's been so fun to realize that you're not crazy for wanting to work hard and also like love hard. And actually, I've never lived in a community that cared so much about improving the community and having open conversations and um, just like, I think everyone I met when I first moved here was like, oh, what do you want to do? Let me help you. Let me introduce you to two or three people. And I just, I've never, I mean, I'm from Phoenix, lived in DC, like traveled to a lot of cities for work and have never been in a place that's been so supportive of people trying to do what they want to do. And I, I feel through both uh, business research and literature and some, just, you know other things that we're seeing outside of business research is that importance of uh, helping people be their authentic self yep. at work, uh, right? Like even like a good brand, right? It, if it's authentic, you know, people are more likely to connect, but also how healthy it is for individuals when they can bring their authentic self to the table. And yes. it, it holds true in innovation research as well is that's interesting, authentic, diverse teams, they'll outperform homogeneous teams, both from problem solving perspective and uh, innovative output. So uh, really glad to hear, hear your, your perspective on that as well. Uh, want to back up a little bit. So you said you, you also lived in Ohio, right? You went yeah, to, um, I went, went to college there in Northeast Ohio, the college. Okay. Of <laughs> and you, you studied, uh, uh, you were an English major. Was that? Yes. I was an English major, Spanish minor. Um, I think before I went to school there, I mean, and I'd say like here in Iowa, what a college that would be similar would be like Grinnell. Yeah. Luther or something like that. And, um, my dad was like, whatever you do, don't major in English. (laughs) (laughs) And it turned out it's the class I love the most. It was both creative and historical. And it felt like it involved, um, anthropology and sociology and a whole bunch of different ways to approach time periods and people and to understand motives and stuff. And so I, I really liked it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. When I, uh, when I came, so I did my undergrad at, uh, I didn't grow up in Iowa, did my undergrad here. And oh. I was a uh, communication studies uh, major and pre-dentistry double major as I started out. <laughs> Would not have thought you were a pre-dentistry major. That is amazing. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't decide at, at the time, right? 18 year old mind. Do I want to be oh, a yeah. filmmaker? Or I also really liked science and like I was thinking that you know being an orthodontist right because uh, all the yeah. fluoridated water in the world can't straighten teeth so like <laughs> thinking that there would be uh, kind of employment through that route but I ended up focusing more on uh, communication related to how people construct meaning how they share meaning and yeah. then also ended up taking a lot of literature courses at Iowa and cool. so I, I almost minored in that but you're what practically you're dad- there you go that's <laughs> 
what you're, that's what how I feel about art history. Like I'm like, I love history and art too. And I was like one class away from like being a minor in that too. <laughs> and the, diff, yeah, for me, it was the, the pragmatic thought was <clears throat> I can graduate in four years Mm-hmm. Or I can take an extra semester and get the English minor. But I did think that a uh, communication major and an English minor wasn't going to break down any business doors. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really think, I mean, that's, I think communication, knowing you as, you know, like and from our prior interactions, that is totally who you are. Is like the, It's like how to communicate with people, the meaning, what's behind that. That seems like very fitting for you. I think some part of your 18-year-old self figured it out early on. Good for you. <laughs> oh, th- yeah. No, thank you. And what's what's interesting, too, is a lot of my early career was early web work. And uh, mm-hmm. in the early 90s, when I- Iowa uh, created the Information Arcade, it was their first like digital classroom. And it was actually a literature course that I had with Brooks Landon, uh, English professor, and I had multiple classes oh. with him. Lo- loved loved him, loved his classes, but uh, we had to we had to produce uh, stuff on SciQuest cartridge. It was we were basically building interactive presentations. We couldn't turn in a paper, and it's funny how it was through that it was through an English course that I ended up like falling into this new technology that like then brought me into the design world and business strategy, but it was, it was all tied to early HTML work through an English class at Iowa. I love that. I, I actually think that like, I, I love English majors. <laughs> I just like, I'm like, when I see people, I'm like, way to go because English majors, <laughs> you know, they're kind of probably laughed at as being like, what do you do with that? But for me, it, um, one, I know how to like spell and write, you know, that actually paved the way I started out as an editorial assistant in like a local community newspaper in Arizona. And then one of our advertisers was a local, a small cable company. And they're like, we're looking for a new marketing person. And they were like, do you want to do that? I was like, okay. And so that's how I got into marketing. And it really was like, what connects to people? And I think it's a very easy like way to still be creative, but then get involved with business, right? Is like knowing how to write, knowing how to reach people, knowing how to start working with graphics and teams and ad campaigns. And it just kind of snowballed from there. But I think English majors can do a lot. If you're an English major out there, way to go. Yeah, no, I am. I am a big big fan of of the liberal arts approach to the world yeah. and, you know, happy that my, my undergrad was, you know, from, from the college of liberal arts and science. That's awesome. And, and on the English front, like you said, it's uh, I think two more things, the power of storytelling and yeah. to, to engage people, but also to, to share information. And remember when I was doing some customer experience work, I, I saw somebody, give a presentation and just talking about empathy. And they said, nobody will remember cell C17 on Excel, but they'll remember yeah. the story about what that person was going through. Right? And yeah. so the ability to tell a story to, to convey complex information, that's, I mean, that's how we've been been wired since we were sitting around fires for Exactly, for exactly. It's all about stories and that you, uh, that ring true for you you know, and realizing, oh, I'm not alone in this story or, you know, whatever. And so I think, I think that's very accurate. So uh, with your, with your work, both in healing and the consulting and advice that you do for small businesses, and you, you, you talked about the kind of that importance of small business earlier. Can you tell me a little bit more 
just where your energy comes from and and you're you're so good at giving positive energy to <laughs> small small business people because just for context uh for folks we're we're work neighbors we have offices yeah. nearby and yeah. and sometimes i i i've i've been the recipient of your coaching which i very much appreciated and i've <laughs> heard you give coaching advice and i'm like oh it's so good but uh really oh where- my gosh how funny well, I, thank you. Thank you so much for that because, um, so I'll do a little bit of a backstory. So yeah. I mentioned briefly that um, from Entrefest, the Small Business Development Center and Scott Swenson, I ended up working with him. And I remember very clearly, and I think that this kind of is is the needle that kind of everything revolves around. Um, I remember interviewing with Scott Swenson and I had my resume, you know, and I was like, okay, like, I'm going to be all prepared and say, I can do all this and this and this and this, because I don't have, I didn't go to school for business, you know? And, and so there's a little bit of, Oh God, what am I getting myself into? Will he even like me? I've heard Scott Swinson, like all these people go to him. He's like this mentor in the community for business. And so we were meeting and he was interviewing me and he was looking at my resume and he's like, you're missing something from your resume. And I was like, <laughs> you and he wrote likes to help people and then circled it on my resume. And he's like, that should be at the top of your resume. And I was like, that's what high schoolers put on their like practice resume for, you know, like their first the, uh, well, my first job was at Starbucks, you know, but like it, that's to me, like was the thing that was not important in all of the other jobs that I'd worked at, um, in all the different marketing and events and all kinds of stuff. But for Scott, he was like, you just want to be able to help people. And if you have, if you're coming from a place of meeting a client where they're at, no matter where they're at, whether they're just getting started or they're needing help with connecting to other companies or resources or finding partners or developing a marketing strategy or a brand, whatever it could be, um, then if you have that intention, then you're gonna connect to that person no matter what. Um, Which is completely in line with who I am as a person in general, you know? So I was just like, what? Like that's, is that the key? Like that's the key to business. And so I was a SBDC counselor for two and a half years, I think. And then from there, I was state university um, and the CIRIS team and CIRIS stands for the Center for Industrial Research and Service. Um, they recruited me to be a government contracting specialist. And so uh, basically what I do now and have done for almost two and a half years is help small businesses just like find and bid on government contracts and help them through that process. And I kind of just joke that we're your friend in the murky waters of government contracting because it's hard and it's complicated. And my whole approach is, I don't think anyone knows everything they can about government contracting. I think it's very complicated and wonky and red tape and bureaucratic, but like anything in life, everything is just one step after another. And if you can answer one question at a time and just take one step after another, pretty soon you're going to be much further down the road um, than where you started. And so that's kind of the approach I take in that I just want to be a guidepost for people and answer, even if they've asked me the same question 10 times, like 
still meet them there yeah, and yeah. that's answered again. And you know, like it, yeah, that's still the same approach I have now to business. That that's great. A uh, couple of, a couple of things too. I want to dig into <laughs> is you, you'd also, you had mentioned minoring in Spanish and yeah. thinking about those murky. I, I feel like some of what you're doing is using multilingual skills to translate yes. These, yes. these crazy kind of uh, specialized Whoa. jargon language <laughs> in government contracts yeah. to help small business people like, oh, here's here's how you present this. This is what you're mm-hmm. doing. Use mm-hmm. this label, use this term. Right. And it, yep. it's just helping them kind of reframe. But I feel like you're doing a lot of translation work, too. Yeah, that's business. funny. Yeah, I think I am. I do feel like I'm kind of that gateway between like. I don't know all the answers, but I can look up some of those translations for you and help reframe it to sound like normal human language <laughs> as a small business and like just create some very viable, doable next steps and to help simplify it as much as possible. Um, so, yeah. And it's fun because I have clients, everyone from artists to web designers to, um, you know, construction companies to uh, different trades people or manufacturers. And so um, I just am constantly meeting new people and it's really cool. That's great. And then the other thing I wanted to, your first job was at Starbucks? Yes. Were you a barista? I was a barista. I, you know, this is okay. God, what year would this have been? 1990s. I graduated high school in 2000 and I worked there since I was 16. So it was like 1998 maybe. Yeah. And, um, it was right when Starbucks was starting to come to Phoenix. And so there was like a Starbucks a couple miles away from me and I interviewed there, but then I got hired for, and I ended up working over two years at three different Starbucks as they were opening and growing and moving staff around to help train new people. And I just, <laughs> I remember they like had just come out with a caramel frappuccino. Like that was like the era. I, I mean, they had a mocha one yeah. and I was there for like, they took us to some weird office park in Phoenix and like put a caramel mini caramel frappuccino in front of each of us. And we're like, what do you think of this? <laughs> and I was like, this is like magic in my, what's happening right now. Um, yeah. So it was, it was fun. It was like a great place to work. That was before food had to be warmed up and stuff. It was just like pastries. And so yeah. it was like, it was like make coffee I usually did the cleaning at night. That was like my shift because it was after school. So um, called it pre-close and I closed the store down most nights. So did you, um, uh, did you have to write names on cups? Yes. Yes, I did. I so really is tried. It, is it on <laughs> purpose? Right. When, when sometimes I no, see. No, I really tried to do it right. I, you know, I have since like lived in big, bigger city, like in DC. Yeah. I meeting the Starbucks people there and being like, do we work for the same company? Because they would not even look at you in the face. They were like, name, blah, blah, like, and I don't know what happened, but like, I would make sure that it was spelled right. I'd like write it down. I draw a little star or a heart, you know, whatever. I was like in high school, I was 16 and dotting all my eyes with hearts or stars anyway. Like it was just like, <laughs> I, I did um, get on the, Management had to talk to me all the time, though, because they had this dress code that you had to wear khaki pants or black pants, a white or black shirt, and black, white, or khaki socks. And I was, like, not a black, white, or khaki sock person. I was a polka dot or stripy sock person. And 
and you're behind the counter, right? right but like, right. At least like once every two weeks, my manager would be like, okay, so like you're doing the sock thing again. And it's not the uniform, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, okay. I'll just, I'll comply. And then I just never did. So that was my thing against Starbucks, but. Oh, now, now can you still make a mean <laughs> cup of coffee? I do. I, I'm now a French press person. So, um, cause that way it's like freshly ground. Yes. And, and then I can just like have a whole French press to myself. It's great. So, uh, I'm a big fan of French press, but my yeah. big struggle, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you clean the pot? How do you get rid of the grounds? What do you do with it? Oh my God. Okay. So we have compost like yes. in, our, okay. in our garden, but I always try and leave the French press for my partner to clean because I hate cleaning it out and he hates it. And he's like, <laughs> why do you leave this for me? And I'm like, cause I don't want to do <laughs> I hate doing it. I really do. In, in Minneapolis, uh, I don't even know if it exists, but I remember uptown there was a, uh, uh, like a coffee shop cafe. All it was was desserts and pastries mm-hmm. and, and all coffee was French press when you were there. I would have loved it. Oh That's the way to go because they cl- they easy. cleaned it up, right? You still get oh you, my god, you get all the and, magic. And then you don't even have to do all the espresso drinks and all the drama. It's like here's your coffee. It's delicious. The milk is over there. You choose. <laughs> right. Like, and we're not known for the fancy stuff. Just like do it. I would. That's the way to go. I've even talked to my mom about that. She's like, if I ever open up a bakery, it's gonna just be French presses. I was like, mom, it's smart. It's smart. <laughs> Oh, it's that's so great. Uh, one of the one of the things I like to dig into with guests is uh, advice and good advice that we've either received in, in our life. Uh, sometimes it could be like a mentor's told you something. And usually as a kid, we might kind of scoff at it. Then years later, you realize you mm. unpack it, realize it was pretty wise. Yeah. Or I also steal from Austin Kleon's book, Steal Like an Artist, because he says, when we give advice, we're just talking to our younger self. So maybe mm. what advice do you wish you would have had? But is there any advice that you have for listeners about like, w- from your journey yeah. and perspective? Um, I'd say my, it's so funny. Cause you know, okay, <laughs> when I graduated college, I was like, I'm going to be like a writer and work for a newspaper. Cause I, what else do English majors do? I don't know. You know, um, I think I just followed what felt like the next best step. Um, when something stopped feeling good, I moved on. And I think paying attention to that, like, like I got, for example, I got super burned out in DC and um, there's a funny way of how I found this website, but, um, I found an alternative jobs website. And one of those jobs was working on a family farm in Northern California. And within a couple of weeks, I gave notice, I quit my job. I moved to a farm with no internet in Northern California, Mendocino County for like seven months. <laughs> and I just reset my life. I was the oldest person there. Everyone else was like in their twenties, like figuring out, you know, farm life or what they want to do. And, um, and then I think my whole family thought I was crazy. I think all my friends thought I was crazy. You know, like, um, I worked for the largest Hispanic civil rights advocacy group in the country in DC and I left it. And I just knew that my soul was unwell or just wasn't happy. I wasn't myself. And so, um, came here and just kind of from each place that I moved 
and each job I took and each decision I made, it was what feels good, what feels like I'm drawn to it and what feels like I'm, I've learned what I needed to learn and I'm now done with it. And that's okay to be done with things and it's okay to move on. And it's also okay if that's where you're comfortable, that's where you're comfortable to stay. But I'm a person that can get bored easily and I'm constantly growing and curious and wanting to learn. And that's just how I'm made. And I also like to help people. So with all of that, you know, kind of behind me and inside of me, it's like, how can people still be helped? How can I help my community? And also what feels right and true and good and to not be afraid of that. Cause I think, um, I don't know, some people just don't like change and are scared of it. Um, but I feel like, I mean, that's why I've lived all over the country. Yeah. I've myself in other states and jobs and reinvented myself a ton, but I've also learned from all of it. And I've pretty much just, I'm still the same person, just like, you know, those core values of curiosity and wanting to help people have never changed. And so paying attention to that and following what feels right. Thank you. I want to uh, ask, how are you cultivating your curiosity today? Oh my God. What's either keeping you curious or are, are there like new, is it like, do you take on new hobbies or new? Like, um, I wish I was so good research at taking on holes? new hobbies. <laughs> well, um, so my partner, Michael and I bought the house we're in now in almost a year ago in January. And so we bought this house knowing that we wanted to um, renovate it. And so there's a lot of like, I've never done that. I mean, like, I don't know anything about, he's an architect, so he's got a lot more. And I and grew up on a farm, so he's like handy. And I'm like city girl that has tried to be on a farm, you know? And so, um, <laughs> but learning, like we had our first major gardening this summer and we're doing some landscaping and um, coming up with plans and ideas for the house has been really fun. Um, because of my own health issues, but also like having a business in the wellness world, it's like, I'm constantly also following different um, functional medicine doctors and ideas and um, reading books on kind of just to getting to different truths that, that are out there. So it's, I feel like between those two things that usually takes up most of my extra reading capacity. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I love travel, I miss it. Right. Like we were actually in Oaxaca, Mexico, when the United States shut down in like March 14th or whatever for a wedding, a friend's wedding. And um, right when we got to Mexico, they canceled the wedding. So then we were like in Mexico for a week, but then had to make a run for the border a week later. Um, and I hadn't traveled abroad in a couple of years. I hadn't been able to. And it just really reawoke in me like this need to go somewhere every year and to put myself into places that are new and I have to learn from and see how people um, live their daily lives, you know, in different places. And that's always been something that's really influenced me. Um, I've lived in different countries before too, like studying abroad and volunteering abroad and stuff. And it was just a good reminder, like to keep learning and to yeah. keep being curious. What countries? Um, I studied abroad in Spain uh, my sophomore year. Uh, in a town called Cordoba, it's in the South. And then after graduating, I lived back home in Arizona for almost a year and saved money. 
Um, but then I went to a small town in Ghana for the summer. And I actually stayed in touch with two of the boys there. And um, they were probably 10 and 11 when I was there in 2005. And then we stayed in touch and I kind of considered them my brothers. And I over until last year raised money for them each year to go to college. And they both graduated last November and it was amazing. Um, so, and then after that, I spent six months in Santiago, Chile, um, also volunteering. And it was great. I, I'd say I have different relationships with, you know, I stayed in touch with the kids in Ghana more so than the people um, in Chile, but both experiences were really impactful and I learned a lot from, but, you know, it was, I, for a while, I was like, how do I just, you know, work for National Geographic and <laughs> live abroad for forever? I don't know how that happened, but right. um, I got to, you know, do that for a while. And um, I've made my partner promise me that when we retire, we're going to go like live on some like elephant orphanage <laughs> rescue thing. And, and so we're in Africa, like Kenya or Tanzania, and, like, spend a year there and see what happens. So we'll see. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, and with your, with your garden, I, over the summer, we had a, a, an exchange about trying to diagnose. I think what chili peppers were coming up. And so, how how was your how was your chili pepper crop oh this year? Oh my god, we had a bumper crop. It was like we had jalapenos, cayenne, serrano, and habaneros, and it's like, I mean, like hundreds of habaneros alone, like hundreds. I was trying to just throw them at my friends and get. I would like. <laughs> They come to sit in our patio, you know, like the COVID outside just right. yep. a cardboard box. And I'd be like, how much parsley and chili peppers do you want? A weird combination, but okay. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, a lot of chili peppers, a lot. And the trick was I found, or that we discovered is we got them going under like a, a plastic, um, like a milk jug, you know? Yeah like a mini greenhouse out in the sun and then from there they just like exploded i don't know and i'm not a guard like in phoenix you don't really garden maybe tomatoes or right? it's mostly like desert landscaping so i'm not a yeah. garden. killed all my plants before but my partner it has a green thumb so he's been like slowly helping me try not to kill plants oh that's great that's great yeah, yeah some of my plants were hit or miss this year and i planted yeah. too early because i lost them all there was a freeze in mid-may uh, oh yeah yeah and and then reset and uh but uh one of the, one of the peppers that i added this year was uh shishito peppers <gasps> Ooh, those are good like they are and yeah they did really well and a lot of times what i do when i was grilling would just go down and grab some and awesome. uh, just throw rinse them, them off on the garden hose and then just throw throw them right on the on the grill i love it i love it we had a lot of like the tomato and basil and like well i don't eat mozzarella but um, my partner does and so like, yeah. like bread and kind of a bruschetta type dinner and that was probably my favorite summer dinner for sure oh that's great Pick it slice it eat it oh <laughs> Oh, Samantha, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I thank you so much for taking your time to join me here on the podcast and sharing your sharing your gifts with, with us and wish you the best during the holiday season. Thank you. You too. It's been super fun chatting. <laughs>